0: Well, good morning. I'm John Wyman. I'm the missions pastor here at Fellowship of Grace, and I get the honor and the privilege today of continuing our conversation and our, our study in the Book of Romans uh, that we've been for a, for a while here. And just to uh, kind of give you kind of some context, a little story, uh, some of you may know that my wife and I were a uh, one-car family for for several years, and we did that for a bunch of reasons. And we just got to a point in the last couple of weeks where we said, you know, this is, this is just not working. Between both of our work schedules, uh, both of our ministry schedules, and things we were doing outside the house, it just wasn't working. We could no longer be a one care family, so we went out and bought a new car last week. And it's amazing when you have a an event like that in your life where something you know cool happens, something new happens, something exciting happens. The first thing you tend to do is think about all the great things that are going to come as a result of that. You know, so like we don't have to on Sunday like map out the week of like who's working when and who's like who's staying late at work, who's going early at the work, who gets the car this day, and they, like check it every night to make sure that we are still going where we're going. And it's kind of the same way. In a lot of areas of our life, you know, for instance, if you got a promotion at work, you know, or you got a new job, maybe, you know, allows you to spend more time with the family, or maybe you get a little more money, and, you know, you can pay off some some debts, or, you know, get something you wanted, you know, teenagers getting a a driver's license, that's probably good for half the family, but, you know, that's our tendency, and as we look at it, that's really what Paul is doing here as we start into chapter 5 of Romans, because what we're going to talk about today is the blessings of justification. For these past several weeks, we've been talking, uh, reading through what, what Paul has taught us about some truths on our unrighteousness. And the first couple of chapters of of Romans in the first few weeks of the series were, were kind of heavy. You know, they were they were kind of tough, tough weeks there where Paul was was speaking very clearly of of our status as as sinful people. as as unrighteous before God and and the result of that and God's wrath on that. And then it started to turn a little bit over these last few weeks where we started to to take a look at Paul's teachings on being justified by faith. And and what's going to happen now is in chapter 5, it's really kind of a transitional chapter where Paul is going to start talking about the results or the blessings of being declared righteous, being declared justified or not guilty. Now, On your your bulletin, you'll see there at the top, there are three points of emphasis that we've put on there. And as we go through chapter 5, what you're going to see is Paul really puts some emphasis on three major points in there. And those are God's love, Jesus as the mediator or the agent of that love, and our reconciliation back with God as the result of that love. And as we go through this passage just today, you're going to see that th- those, those points of emphasis come up several times. I just ask you to kind of keep those in mind as we go through today. But what Paul is really describing as we go through this passage here is, is a complete transformation, not only in us, but in our relationship with God. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have a Bible app on your phone, I'd invite you to join me. We're going to be in Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. And in there, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. Excuse me, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were while while we for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received this reconciliation. So right in those 11 passages there, I think you've already probably seen some of those points of emphasis that Paul talks about. God's love, Jesus is the agent, the mediator of that love, and our reconciliation as a result of that. But what I want to do first is I want to go back to how Paul starts this passage. And he uses the word therefore, which always points us back to a previous event, a previous fact, a previous point. See, the word therefore never starts a new thought. It builds on a previous thought or a previous set of points, often using those points as the basis or the foundation for the points that he's going to make next. See, when we talk about therefore, really what we're saying is, because of this, therefore, we have this. And that's really what we're getting into here in chapter 5. And another important foundation that Paul sets right off the bat in in, in, in verse 1 is the fact that as Christians we've been justified, we've been declared not guilty by faith. That's now understood and accepted as the starting point for the rest of the conversation that we're going to have here in chapter 5. So with that understood, we're going to today spend a little time talking about three important truths that we want to understand as a result of this passage. And the first one we're gonna see is that being justified by faith brings many blessings. As you look through the first five verses of chapter five, you'll see that Paul lays out a series of blessings that we receive as a result of the the, the justification that we've received by faith. The first one we're gonna see is peace with God, and we read that in verse one where Paul says, "'Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, an important point to understand here, Paul's not talking about the peace of God, you know, like that inner peace. For instance, in Philippians 4, six and 4.7, he talks about, you know, don't be anxious, but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known for, to God, and that the peace of God will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's important. That's something we want to pray for in times where we're in trouble. But that's not the peace that Paul's talking about now. What Paul's talking about is a peace with God. Really what he's talking about is the end of our hostility to God, or the end of the hostility between us and God, which did exist. See, in Greek thought, the word peace was a relational word. It was a relational term that described a state of well-being or a state of harmony between two or more people, two or more nations. Earlier, we mentioned the complete transformation in us in in our relationship with God. The truth is, through sin, we had separated ourselves from God. that's, That's true. But much more than that, through our sin, what we had done is we became hostile towards God. We had created a hostility with him. and it's important not to to kind of sugarcoat that or kind of gloss over that, that, well, you know, we really weren't with God or, you know, we really weren't standing, you know, in good relationship with God. We have to understand, no, we, we had made ourselves God's enemies. And and, and that's that's clear in, in a couple of passages in the New Testament. I'll I'll go through here. In Romans 1.30, where Paul is kind of talking about our unrighteousness, he actually used the term Haters of God, as he describes the unrighteous. In Colossians 1.22, as Paul's writing to the church of Colossae, he talks about being alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And then in James 4.4, James writes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, this wasn't a relationship as if you, know, you had a couple of neighbors or a couple of coworkers who maybe didn't get along or they didn't you know, know each other real well, where you know, they just kind of tended to avoid each other. That, that's not the relationship that existed beforehand. This was a hostile relationship with everything that goes with it. Yet, when we were justified by faith, that relationship was instantaneously changed from a relationship of hostility to a relationship of peace. That's the first blessing we get. The second blessing that we see in this this verse here is a confidence in our eternity, and we see that in verse 2. In there, Paul writes, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, Ask you to notice there, just like the peace we have with God we, we learned about in verse 1, the access we have here in verse 2, that is through Jesus. That's that point again of Jesus being the agent or the mediator of God's love. Jesus is the him that, that Paul refers to here when he says through him we have access. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for access, it, it's not simply... You know, like if you were going to come in later today and say, Hey, I'm going to clean up the, the sanctuary, the worship center after, after service today, we say, Okay, fine, we'll leave the door open. Just come in when you're. That's not the, like, the access that Paul's talking about. You know, if you were to think of a restaurant, you know, it would be kind of like this, you know, come on in or not, have a seat or don't, you know, someone will be with you, maybe, you know. That, that, that's, that's not the access that Paul's describing in verse 2. The access Paul is describing in verse 2 is more like this. It's being ushered in. It's being welcomed in and brought in as, as a member of God's kingdom. That's, that's really what he's talking about. And to be honest, although this picture does show a pretty clear contrast between the two concepts of access, it doesn't even come close to describing the grace that we now stand in based on being justified by faith. And I'd also ask you to just kind of take a look at the tense Paul uses, because it does kind of matter here. Paul talks in the present tense. We now stand in this grace. It's not something that we hope for or we work for or someday we'll have it in the future. It's something we have right now. And it's because of that grace that we have the promise of spending our eternity in God's presence and his glory. That's the glory Paul's talking about in verse 2. Now, the third blessing that we see is an assured hope. We see this in verses three and four. So let's read what Paul says there. Paul says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, this is not a worldly hope. You know, for instance, hey, I hope the, the royals do better next year. It's not that kind of a hope. What Paul is talking about is a confident and assured expectation in God's promises. Like there's no doubt in the hope that he has that it will be fulfilled. Now, whenever we talk about suffering and we kind of walk this progression and talk about you know, suffering being something that, that is desirable, we have to make sure we understand you know, what, what the authors are, are writing here. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of, from the New Testament of talking about suffering. I'm going to kind of explain what that really means. For instance, Colossians one twenty four, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In, in the book of 2 Timothy, as Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, he says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then James one two we'll go back to the book of James where James says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds understand that in each one of these cases the, the biblical author is not telling people hey be happy that you're suffering be happy for your for your for your trial that it's, it's it's something that's fun or some people might be impressed with it that's kind of nuts. Okay, What Paul is describing here is a step-by-step transformation from a trial or a suffering that then produces endurance, that gives us character, which, and through that it makes us closer to Christ. It makes us more Christ-like. We're not happy or joyful for the trial. We're not happy or joyful for the suffering, but for what it produces. That's the point that they're all making here. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. First one... <clears throat> This is what's called, if you're not familiar with this, the picture here is what's called the Biosphere 2. Back in the early 90s, uh, they had a science experiment. This is outside of Tucson, Arizona, and there was a group of scientists who actually locked themselves in this facility for two years. And they created a series of kind of mini-environments, including desert, a tropical rainforest. They had a little ocean in in there. And and they simulated a lot of weather conditions uh, and, and did a lot of scientific testing and observation. The one weather condition that they couldn't simulate was wind. They, they couldn't simulate wind within the biosphere. And what they observed is that over time, although the trees in there grew faster and taller than they normally would in nature, they then started to quickly bend over and just snap and fall. What happens is that when trees are subject to strong winds, they actually develop what's called stress wood. It's actually a very strong, fibrous wood that, that enables the tree to withstand the wind. It, 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 it makes it stronger, it makes it more pliable, it gives it a longer life, it gives a, a better quality of life for the tree. But if, if the tree never goes through the trial of wind, it doesn't develop stress wood. And, and what they found was, the trees simply couldn't hold their own weight. They just snapped and fell over by their own weight. I'll give you another example of a trial, this is more of a personal one. Um, Some of you may be aware of this. Um, Three years ago, about this time of year, my wife Dee had a very serious uh, medical emergency. And she had an allergic reaction to a medication that she had been given. And she had been feeling well for a couple of days. We were kind of watching it, talking to the doctor. Seemed like it was getting better, and then she woke me up about 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday, and she said, look, you got to take me to the doctor right now. She had already called the doctor and made an appointment, and doctor's office was only a couple of blocks away from our house, so by the time we got there, her blood pressure was 74 over 40. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen when your blood pressure is 74 over 40, and none of them are good. They did a good job at the doctor's office stabilizing. They immediately took her by ambulance from there down to Providence Medical Center. And they did a super job down there stabilizing her. But she was, she was in a life-threatening condition. And they immediately, in addition to trying to stabilize her and figure out what was going on, they immediately started doing coordination with KU Med to figure out which was the best clinic for them to treat her because they didn't have the capability there at Providence to treat her. She was going to, to, to KU Med that day. And I, I can clearly remember, um, you know, a lot of coordination has to happen. They have to figure out where she's going to go. They have to have a bed there. They have to have an ambulance. All that stuff came together. They strapped her in. And uh, I remember kissing her goodbye. And when I, when I kissed her goodbye, I didn't know if I'd ever see her again. And um, we had made the decision that instead of me following her straight down, I was going to go back to the house because we knew she was going to be in the hospital for a while. So I went back to the house and grabbed some stuff for her and for me, some clothes and toiletries and stuff. And I can clearly remember driving down K5 and praying. And as you might imagine, my prayer was pretty clear, God heal her. But for the first time in my life, I was faced with a condition that was so far out of my control, that was so far beyond anything I could understand, and I completely turned it over to God. I, I can remember the prayer of, God, your will, your way, you, you know what I want. I mean, it, you absolutely know what I want, but I trust you completely. And as a result of that, as a result of her, her hospitalization, um, she actually ended up getting out of the hospital a lot earlier than we really thought she was going to. Um, the amazing thing is that when you're, you go and you're really sick at a place like KU Med, a research hospital, Everybody wants a PC, like literally. Um, you know, when I got down there, it was about 8 o'clock at night by the time I got down there. This was a Saturday night, and they're taking biopsies of her. And the chief of dermatology was overseeing the biopsy. And I walked in, and I saw this. Who's that guy? He's the chief of, uh, of, of um, dermatology. I said, oh, you know. I mean, pretty significant for, for, for that level of supervision to be in at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. So I realized how serious this was. But then the other departments and the other disciplines were coming around and taking a look at our own rounds, and you know we're we're both we're both over halftime. You know we're both in our fifties, and you know life kind of takes its toll on you know, when you're over fifty. And you know we we had kind of both started experiencing some chronic things, and you know we figured they they were just a result of being you know fifty, and uh, you know we we're going to live with them for for as long as we were here. But amazingly, as We started to talk to other disciplines as they came around in rounds. They came up with some, what in in, in hindsight, are some amazingly simple changes through, you know, minor medications, changes in diet, lifestyle, things like that, that really took care of a lot of these chronic things that she'd been dealing with for for several years. And, And as you look at that, you know, the endurance and the character, it was an amazing hope that Wow, we, 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 we had prayed for her to be healed from these kind of chronic things for years. What an amazing way God had to actually do that. Now, I will tell you, I, I wouldn't have asked for that way. I definitely wouldn't have asked for it that way. But, but it steeled in our hearts a confidence in God's provision and his, his capability. Because suffering and, and, and troubles, they test our faith. Mm what they actually do is they allow us to develop and demonstrate the endurance that Paul's talking about here. The true value of a trial is the increase in our faith. It's, it, it increases a God-centered, a God-dependent lifestyle that we realize that it's not about us anymore, and, and we are not capable of doing all the things we're capable of. Now, I will kind of give a caution here that you know, if, we were to, if you were to go through a trial... And we come out of it on the other end and we say, boy, I gained a whole lot of self-confidence through that. Like, when we say that, we have completely missed the point. We've completely missed the point. Because looking at it as a gain in self-confidence, really what you're doing is you're boasting yourself. Hey, look what I did. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What we gain is a confidence in what God has done and what God will do. That's the confidence and the hope that Paul is talking about here. It's not the suffering. It's our response to the suffering. It's not the trial. It's our response to the trial. Because trials help us in two main ways. One, it does develop a character, as Paul says, a character that turns away from self-reliance and turns us towards a reliance towards God. The other thing it does is it reminds us of God's character, even if his way doesn't look the way we expect or we would prefer it to have looked. And when this happens, it gives us a confidence that our hope won't fail or won't disappoint us, which leads us to our final, the final blessing we're going to talk this morning, and that's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And let's look at what Paul says here in verse 5. Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, some translations will say hope doesn't disappoint, hope doesn't put us to shame. It means the same thing. The truth is, though, if we have a hope in something, but that, that something or that object of our hope is not a rational or a well-grounded hope, you know, what we called before a confident or assured expectation, if we don't have a confident or assured expectation in that, in that hope, then what, the only thing we can get is a result of disappointment, a result of frustration, a, a result of uh, confusion. Let me, let me give you kind of an example here. So let's say my hope was in the Kansas City Royals. You know, like that was, that's what defined me, was, was my devotion to the Kansas City Royals. Everybody I talked to, I never missed a game. I told all my neighbors and all my coworkers. You know, I explained how devoted I was to them, how important they were to me. Uh, I told them you know, all the history of the Royals. I invited them to games. Uh, I spent time, like, personal time kind of studying their history and and memorizing, like, statistics and and, and facts about them. And I guaranteed people that they're going to win the World Series. You know, the truth is, eventually, I'm going to be pretty frustrated and I'm going to look pretty stupid. That's just a reality because, you know, that's a hope that's, it's not grounded, it's not rational, it's not grounded in anything objective. Truth is, there's 30 major league baseball teams. So every year, fans of 29 teams are going to be really disappointed and frustrated. So that leads to the question then as we read this. Why is our hope in God's promise different? Paul explains it right here in verse 5. It's because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the objective point. As a result of our justification through faith, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in us the Holy Spirit isn't near us it's not around us we don't have access to it it's poured into our heart and we have it in us and when we receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit we actually experience God's love in our hearts that's the difference we don't think about or dream about or read about something we might experience someday later we actually experience now because it's been poured into us we feel it we see it we see the results of it The hope is not a disappointment because we've already experienced it. You can't be disappointed in something that's already happened for the good. And we receive this blessing simply because of God's love. Now, as we continue to read this passage, there's two more truths we want to cover today. The second truth is that Jesus died for our sins while we were still sinners. And we see this in verses 6 through 8. And in there, Paul writes... For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now when you first look at this truth the way it's written, you'd almost say, well, we just kind of copied out verse 8. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. The first thing we have to do is we have to look at our condition when Christ died for us. You know, Paul uses the term weak. What he really means there is completely incapable of doing anything about our condition by ourselves. We could not solve that problem of being unrighteous and being separated from God by ourselves. And then he uses the word ungodly, and this is where it gets a bit ugly, because if we go back to Romans 1, Verses 29 to 31, Paul gives several terms in there of descriptors of the ungodly. And I'm going to read them because it's kind of important to really understand just how weak we were. Here's the, here's the words that Paul uses in Romans 1:29 to 31. He says, evil, covetous, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. He says they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's a mouthful. I mean, that, that's a really ugly picture that Paul is painting there. But that's the paint, picture he paints there when he says, while we were still sinners. And, and Paul's pretty honest when he gets to verse 7. He says, We might die for a good person. Maybe. Perhaps. Probably not. Think about that for a moment. If we looked at the the character of someone who was, and I'm not going to read them all, evil, covetous, full of envy, murder, strife, disobedient, foolish, would we even loan them our car? Never mind die for them? What this shows us is that God's love is a completely different category than we can understand. It's a completely different category than ours. When we look at it this way, it's really rather mind-blowing, mind-boggling, when we read verse 8, where Paul says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't say, While we were making progress to be more Christ-like, he didn't say, After we promised to be better people, because those are impossible. We can't do that. We've established that. We were completely incapable of doing anything about our sinfulness ourselves. Jesus didn't die because we were good enough or that we had earned it or that we would earn it someday. He died because of God's love for us, which brings us to the final truth from this passage today, and that's that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and we see that in verses 9 through 11. In verses 9 through 11, Paul writes, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, well, excuse me, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. If you look at these three verses, they don't just continue the conversation we've had so far about the benefits or the blessings of, of justification. What they do is they expand on it. In verse 8, Paul explains that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. In verse 9, he explains that now that we've been justified, now that Jesus has done that, we now avoid God's wrath. We're not, we're not liable for that anymore. Where previously Paul had explained that we were justified by faith, now he expands on that to emphasize the fact that the justification was a work and an initiative by God, not by us, through Jesus. And then verse 10 is really a rather transitional phrase. I'm going to put this up here. We're going to look at this one for a moment together. In verse 10, Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? As we look at it, the reason this transition, this, this verse is so transitional, is a reconciliation we see. Because to this point, Paul hasn't really talked, Paul hasn't talked about reconciliation. When Paul introduces reconciliation here, we now pass from being enemies of God, which he talked before to being friends of God, to having a healed relation, to be having a whole relationship with him again. See, at the top of the handout where we highlighted the three points of emphasis in chapter 5, God's love, Jesus is the agent uh, of that love, the mediator of that love, and the reconciliation that's a result of that love. Verse 10 is where Paul ties that all together for us. The natural conclusion to God's act of love is that we are justified, that we are saved from his wrath, and we're reconciled back to right relationship with him. That's that's what happens. And because Jesus is the mediator or the agent through which that happened, we rejoice in him, as Paul tells us in verse 11. Now, we're going to take a short break over these next couple weeks from the book of Romans. And we're going to go into a Christmas sermon series we're going to call the Experience and the Miracle. But we're going to come back and pick up Romans after, after the holidays. And, and I just ask you to remember verse 10 and this transition when we pick back up again. Because when we pick back up again, we're now reconciled and we're in right relationship with them for the rest of the conversation. Just when we talked, where Paul said, therefore, in verse 1... We talked about we've established the fact that we're justified by faith and here's all the benefits. Well, when we pick up after January, we're going to say, therefore, now that we've been reconciled, here's all the other things that happen in our life. We're going to talk about how that we've understood this, that we begin to live for Christ and how we begin to be perfected through him in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, as we just read these words... To be honest with you, they're, they're absolutely amazing. It's unbelievable to think that the state we were in, that your love was so great that you sent Jesus Christ to die for those sins so that we might be reconciled to you. That we might be saved from your wrath. You know, Lord, this, this last weekend, many of us spent time giving thanks, taking time together with family and friends to give thanks and There's nothing more that we can give thanks for. There there is no greater gift. There is no greater understanding than than knowing that we're justified by faith and the amazing blessings that you have given us as a result of that justification. Lord, we thank you for exposing this word to us. We thank you for, for explaining that we could understand better. And we ask that you give us a desire in our hearts that we would explain it to others so that those who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ yet would develop that. And they too would be saved. They would be saved from your wrath. They would be reconciled to you through the work of Jesus Christ. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.